If you have your Bibles, again, Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to read uh, verses 1 to 10, and then we'll really comment about the first three words of of this passage uh, for the rest of our time this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you that we can uh, come now to your word and continue to worship you in this way. And uh, as we just take a few moments and, and concentrate on a, a few of the, the one phrase in this passage, uh, it's a tough phrase, Father, but I pray that the truth of it will settle into our hearts and minds. Because when we get this truth, we just have a completely different understanding of grace and mercy. And the depth of it and the magnitude of it and the lavishness of it um, uh, comes into greater view. Help us, I pray, um, open the eyes of our hearts that we might understand the truths of this passage. Open the eyes of our heart that we might come to know you better through this passage. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might come to know ourselves better and as such, live in a way that honors and glorifies your name. Make the book live, I pray this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some passages in Scripture which are foundational, and this is one of them. This is one of the most foundational passages of Scripture when it comes to understanding something of human nature and something of the salvation of God towards us. Um, when we, I read the whole passage, verses 1 to 10, because again, in the Greek language, that is all one sentence. And when we come to translate things, sometimes to help us understand it, and because of word order, it's easy for us to break it up. And so, for what is one sentence in Greek, in my Bible at least, it's six sentences. But this is a one long sentence, and it's a single coherent sentence. The subject of the sentence is God. And God comes up in, in verse 4. Uh, and then the main verb of the sentence is made us alive, and that comes up in, in verse 5. And so when we think about this, this sentence, it's really a sentence that tells us we were alive, or we were dead, but God made us alive in order that we might live for Him. That's a, a Paul paraphrase of one long sentence, but that's getting at the heart of what, um, what the, uh, Paul is trying to say here. It's a passage that um, teaches us about anthropology or about man, about the nature of man, about, about humanity. It's a passage that teaches us about salvation. It, it puts salvation 
in a, in, a, in a context for us that helps us understand the magnitude of our salvation. To understand this passage is to understand man's desperate need for God. To understand this passage is to understand the desperate plight of all of mankind. To understand this passage is to understand the urgency of missions and its relation to the Word of God. Because as we read in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so missions that is unconnected from the Word of God is not really missions. And it warms my heart to understand that this new building is going to be a theological center where the Word of God is communicated and explained because it is through the Word of God that life comes. And so to understand this passage is to understand the urgency and the centrality of missions in Scripture. To understand this passage is to understand that salvation belongs to the Lord. When we understand this passage, we understand the desperate situation that we are really in. To understand this passage is to understand the fearful plight of all mankind, of all humanity. And this is a, a very serious passage of Scripture. But to understand this passage is also to then come to understand something of the amazing mercy and love of God that He has shed abroad in our hearts and in our lives. This uh, notion of God's mercy and God's grace is now set in context of this backdrop of death and disobedience and wrath. It's like, this passage is like the, the black velvet um, background to which a jeweler puts a diamond on to show the beauty of the diamond more clearly. And so when we understand the, the nature of, our, of, our, of, of who we are and, and, and how God views us before we come to Christ, we understand more critically the beauty of Christ against this background. And what we understand about this passage is also critical, and it's this, is that he is describing all men and women. This is not a passage of Scripture that is just describing um, the really decadent parts of society. This isn't a passage of Scripture that's really describing the nature of really, really, really bad people. And I could list three or four, and they've been in the news for us in the last two weeks, and they would jump right to our, our minds, and we would say, well, they are really, really bad people. This isn't a passage that maybe just describes some tribe in South Africa that has never heard the gospel, that has never been cultured, in quotation marks, maybe like we have. Um, this is a passage of Scripture that describes every single man and woman, boy and girl, infant that has ever been conceived or ever will be conceived until Christ comes back again. This is a passage that describes human nature. This is a biblical diagnosis of fallen man and fallen society everywhere. And the one point that we're going to look at this morning, and we'll come back the rest of them next week, is, is simply this. Um, it's a, it's, it's, it, the, the title is Dead Men Walking, the story of the living dead. It's not a very encouraging topic this morning. Um, that's okay. We have those from uh, lots of times. This is just the passage that's before us today. But we read the first four verses of this passage, and they're startling verses. Or, or words, where Paul writes to them and he begins by saying to them, and you were dead. He's not, forget about the tense for a moment, just let that word soak into your, into your mind and into your heart, and you were dead. 
what Paul does not mean is physical death. That is, he is not writing to a group of people who had all died and then had all been raised again, and so they were dead and now they are alive. He is not referring to physical death in this passage. So we say, well, is there any other kind of death? And for some, this may be the first time you've ever heard this before. But there is another kind of death. And this is a a death that's described in the scripture as a spiritual death. Just as there is a physical death in which we all die, there is a spiritual death in which we have all participated in, and we will look at how that has happened. The place to start is in Genesis, and we can turn there if you want, uh, in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. After God had created man and woman, he placed them in the garden, and he said to Adam and Eve, he said to them, "Um, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That is clear instruction with a clear consequence. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, just as as sort of one aside, and there'll be a few of these along the way, the fact of the matter is, is we know that the moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they did not die physically. That came later. But we know that they died spiritually because there was this transformation that took place in them um, and and they, they were all of a sudden aware of their shame and their guilt and that's why they covered themselves and that's why they hid. They were now dead in relation to God. They were dead in their connection with God. And then we read a little bit further about this conversation that took place between Satan Um, and Eve. And Moses has recorded this conversation for us in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. And Moses tells the story this way. He says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, listen to the temptations that come our way in this passage. Did God actually say, That's one of the schemes of the devil, to get us to question the word of God. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall uh, shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And she should have stopped there. But then she says, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Sort of a a second um, aside. Notice what Eve has done, and she has done what plagues humanity and the church and Christians um, ever since that day. And it is this horrible disease of legalism. All God had said to her, and she got it right, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. But she added her own law to the list of things that supposedly God said, you shall not touch it even. And that is the the ugliness of legalism. And that is why there is such a danger not only in subtracting from Scripture, but adding to Scripture. Because then we get bound up in a whole bunch of rules that are man-made rules that have no connection with what God originally said. And so we find Eve going off into this plague now that that has been bothersome to us ever since the garden, and that is this wrestling with legalism. But anyhow, she said, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, and this is, this is again a, a, such a critical thing. 
Listen what he said to the woman. You will not surely die. That is a bold face, direct contradiction to what Jesus had said. Jesus said, you eat of it, you will surely die. Satan comes along and he says, you will surely not die. This is uh, sort of an area that we need to think about a little bit. Um, The Bible tells us that um, we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil. Uh, And that's why we put on the whole armor of God. And in in due course, we will get to that at the end of Ephesians chapter 6 when it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the powers and principalities above us and stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan is scheming to bring us down. Satan is furious with mankind. In fact, he hates God and we just are the ones that get in the way. And Revelations 12 tells us that Satan wages war against us and he's really mad. And so he schemes and he looks for all the ways that he can to bring damage to us and to hurt us to hurt God. And so we're aware of the notion of the schemes of of Satan. And we should, by the way, try and understand more and more what are the schemes of the devil. Uh, The second thing, though, that we understand about uh, Satan is that he's called an angel of light. And what that tells me is that that Satan knows how to disguise himself. He knows how to make good look bad and bad look good. He knows how to deceive me so that when I come and look at something, I don't really see the, the, uh, all I see is the bait. I don't see the hook with the barb. And so he's an angel of light. So we understand these things about Satan, the subtlety of his attacks and the scheming nature that he has. But here is a full-on frontal attack to the word of God. And loved ones, this is how, what I see increasingly in our world today. There is, he almost doesn't need to scheme anymore. He almost doesn't need to disguise himself anymore. Because there is such a rebellion against the written word of God that God says, you shall not commit adultery. Satan comes along and says, go ahead and commit adultery. The word of God says, you shall honor your mother and father. The world, Satan comes along and says, don't give a rip about what your mom and dad say. The Bible says, you shall not lie. The world comes along and says, oh, there's no such thing as a lie. It's just getting what you need to do to get ahead. The Bible has not said, you shall not lie. The bold face, frontal attacks of Satan in our culture today are staggering. And we need to be aware of this. Loved ones, God's word stands true. We read it from Psalm 119 today. It is the everlasting word. It is the eternal word of God. And you need to know that sometimes Satan will come along and he will boldface, blatantly contradict exactly what God has said in your life. So anyhow, we come back uh, then to this, uh, to this notion of spiritual death that took place in the garden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And we know that, that, again, as I said earlier, physical death didn't happen immediately because we're here today. We are all related. We are all connected to Adam. So there must have been another death, and that's what I'm talking about again is this notion of spiritual death. It's the death of the soul. It's the death of, of, of man and woman to, to have any notion of a relationship with the God of creation, which we sang about today, the God of wonders, the God of this universe. And so this has resulted in phrases that people use to describe mankind from this passage, dead men walking. 
We are spiritually dead, but we are alive physically. We walk in this world. Or the living dead. Um, We are alive uh, physically, but we are dead spiritually. Or the mortal living. Or members of a spiritual graveyard. In other words, we're talking about a spiritual reality here. And so what, is, what Paul is saying as he's talking about this is that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, first of all, because of our connection with Adam. Because of our relationship with Adam. And, and, and in, Rome, or in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, uh, I think I just want to make this connection so we understand that the Bible tells us we have not evolved from amoebas. We have not evolved from some insect. We have not come from some fish. We have not happened to, to just rise, as um, one of the guys says, from oo to goo to the zoo. We are, we are people that are descended directly from Adam. And Acts chapter 17 makes this very clear in verse 26. As Paul's talking to these people who are worshiping false gods, he says to them, The God who made the world and everything in it, Being the Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then this verse. And he made from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. In other words, we are all related to Adam. If we were to able to trace our family lineage, and some of you have been able to do that back two and three and four hundred years, if we were able to trace it back seven or eight thousand years or nine thousand years, we would all trace our lineage back to Adam. And so there's this connection that we have from Adam. But this is what one describes then, though, is, is this lethal injection that we've all received because of our relationship with Adam. We've all here heard about these stories about um, people who have received blood transfusions and they've received the blood uh, by those who, who were unwittingly carriers of a disease. And in our culture, in, our, in Canada, I don't know how long ago, we had the tainted blood scandal. And we know how many people contracted, I think it was hepatitis C, through tainted blood. It was unwittingly um, transfused to them. Well, in the same way, like victims of a a contaminated blood transfusion, we have all inherited Adam's guilt and shame. And so there is this death that has passed to all of us because we are connected with Adam. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, uh, uh, or sorry, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we find this connection made um, fairly clearly where... uh, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. If the many died through one man's trespass, you understand what the scripture is saying is, is there is this connection that we have with Adam and Eve because he was our representative. They, they did what every single one of us would have done had we been in their place. And so death spread to all mankind because Adam sinned. This is how we understand scriptures like Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. It's the sin nature that drives us to sin. 
or in, in um, uh, Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And, and so we are dead in our sins and trespasses because we are connected with Adam. But some may want to say, well, that's really not fair, and I don't really like that, and so I, I don't want to be connected with Adam. And so, okay, well, then we're also trouble in another way because we die because of our own sins. And so the Bible clearly says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And a little bit later, the wages of sin is death. And so again, we're just talking a little bit here about what is our nature and trying to understand this notion when Paul says you are dead, what is he talking about? What is he meaning when he says that sort of thing? And this is the problem of all mankind. We are all spiritually dead, but we think that we're alive. See, no one thinks of himself or herself as dead. Certainly not dead towards God. We look around the world and and we think, well, after all, don't people think about God? Aren't they trying to assess Him? Aren't they trying to judge whether or not He exists? Well, it it was like one person wrote, um, we we cannot find God for... um, For the same reason that a thief cannot find a police officer. If we find him, or if he catches up with us, he will expose us for what we really are. See, we we may be, there is a spiritual vacuum in each one of us. There is a spiritual longing in each one of us. But there is a complete and utter deadness in us towards finding the God who created us and made us. And so the scripture says, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We did not realize that we were in the valley of a shadow of death, which spiritual death casts upon us. And if we feared no evil, it was because we did not realize that we were already held captive in the land of deep darkness. One person wrote, a skilled mortician is able to present a dead body in a lifelike fashion, even in a familiar and relaxed pose. Yet no life is present and no communication is possible. The same is true spiritually. A double mortal sickness has destroyed all hope of life. Trespasses, which are acts of rebellion and rejection, springing from a heart that is antagonistic to God by nature, and sins are failure to meet up to the mark that God has set for us, has created in us not just spiritual sickness, But worse than that, spiritual death. Christ said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To put it simply, the condition in qualifying for God's grace is to recognize that you can't qualify. It's to recognize a total and utter inability to do anything that pleases God. To put it simply, the condition in qualifying for, for this grace is that after, afterwards Christ came to his disciples to the place where they had despaired of their own efforts to God and he asked them, or they asked him, who then can be saved? And Jesus said to them, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are impossible. You see, like, a, like it is impossible for a person who is physically dead to have any response to life around them, so it is impossible for all of us who are spiritually death, dead to have any response to God. 
But that's where we come to a table like this. Because at this table, we get a glimpse of how this spiritual death was turned to spiritual life. And it was because of the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who in his mercy and in his grace shone into our hearts. And what do we say? We are born again. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Because of the regenerating, life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, I want us to think just a little bit about the amazing grace of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, that in itself is utterly and completely because of God's grace and mercy. Because the fact is we were all dead in our sins and trespasses at one time. But because of the amazing love of God and the mercy of God and the sending of Jesus Christ, we now have life. And we now can worship God. And we are now in a relationship with God. And so we come to this table this morning and it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to just marvel at the amazing grace of God. It's an opportunity for us to say, wow, this is just staggering God that you would call me from death to light, from darkness to to light. There's a passage in Titus that I was reflecting on when, it, when I was thinking of uh, communion this morning, and uh, it comes from uh, Titus chapter 2. It says there, for the grace of God has appeared. Uh, what a beautiful picture of the incarnation. What a beautiful picture of Christmas. For the grace of God has appeared, Bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God appeared, taking us from death to life, training us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God, infusing us now with this ambition in our hearts to serve God. And Jesus said in the night in which he was betrayed uh, to, the, to the disciples as he established for them a way that they would remember his death, he says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, you will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's, a, there's an amazing amount of truth there. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about this as we go through the, our remembrance of the Lord's table this morning, but... Jesus gave his body for us. That means he lived the life that you and I could never live. He perfectly obeyed what God requested of us and him. That he died in our place. He bore the penalty of our sins in his body. And so he gave his body for us. And when we take the bread, that's what we remember. It's a symbol of the sacrifice and the life of Christ for us. That he stood in our place. And when we take the, the juice, it is only a symbol. But what a symbol it is. Because it is a symbol that reminds us that 
that Christ shed his blood, in other words, gave his life in order that our sins could be forgiven, in order that we could have life, in order that we could enter into a relationship with God through him. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you have been walking with him and you are keeping short accounts with him, we invite you to join with us this morning and participate in the Lord's table. It's an amazing way of each of us who know Christ of saying, thank you for dying for me. And one more thing, ask them, the worship team to come up as, a, as, I, as I mention this, is the amazing hope that he says here, because at the end of this passage, Jesus says to them, um, that I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you. Isn't there amazing hope there? It means Jesus will not let me go. It means Jesus will not give up on me. It means Jesus has a personal relationship with me. It means that one day there is going to be the party of all parties, the the marriage supper of the Lamb, the celebration of, of the completed bride of Christ, of the purified bride of Christ, and we will celebrate with Christ and He with you and with me. And so as we come to the Lord's table this morning, if you are a child of God, I invite you to participate and rejoice in the fact that he has taken you from death to life and that he has given you a hope of an amazing banquet feast coming in a few days.